Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This Intelligence Squared podcast is supported by Audible.com, a leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, non-fiction, and periodicals. The Intelligence Squared audience now has the chance to try Audible service by downloading an audiobook for free. You can, for example, choose to download book one of Karl Over Knausgaard's six-volume autobiographical series, My Struggle. It has already been anointed a Proustian masterpiece and is a rare work of dazzling literary originality that is intensely, irresistibly readable. To download a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash debate. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash debate. Thank you for downloading this Intelligence Squared podcast. For more information on our debates, talks and discussions, visit intelligencesquared.com and sign up to the newsletter. Welcome. It's wonderful to see you all here, and it's wonderful to have you here, Colova. I'm sure all of you uh, know almost everything there is to know about Karlova, but I'm just going to give a very short introduction to give a little bit of background on his cycle of books, which we're going to be talking about this evening, and I'm talking about other things. They're called My Struggle. There are six of them. Four of them have been translated into English so far. The fifth one is coming out next year. I've just found out that I should be able to get a copy of it sometime quite soon, and I'm very excited about that. Because anybody who reads these books gets totally swept up into the world of them. And why and how that happens is a very interesting question uh, that we're going to be probing this evening. Partly because they are, as we'll talk about, based not only on Karlova's real life, they're intensely autobiographical, but because so much of the content of them is, is very down-to-earth. I don't really want to use the word mundane, even though mundane means on earth. Um, and, but so very briefly, the structure of the books, they begin with Karlova, the narrator, in the present day, in sort of about 2007, 2008, when you begin writing the books, He's living in Stockholm. He's still, Karlova still lives in Sweden with his Swedish wife and his children. Uh, when you were first writing these books, and it's important to say, actually, Karlova was already a recognized novelist in Norway before then. He'd written two novels, which had won prizes, which had been widely acclaimed, very well-reviewed. And then in 2008, something different happens. You decide that you want to sit down and write the plain truth of your life without any... Restraint. Now, originally, you felt, you believed that no one would ever read these things. You wrote them purely for yourself. And I'm wondering what changed in that process for you suddenly to decide to not only publish them, but to publish them to huge reception in Norway and now the world. Yeah, when I started out, I... What I wanted very desperately was a novel. And I wanted to tell a story about my father, which is the first book. That was the thing I wanted to do. But I couldn't get into the story. You know, I tried to write it as fiction. I tried to write it as a standard novel. And I tried to do that for, it must have been five years or six years. I mean, every day I tried. But I couldn't get into it. I didn't believe in it. And then I was so frustrated and, and desperate and uh, angry too that I thought, okay, I just don't care. I don't want to make literature. I don't want to 
do anything else. I just tell it as it was, you know. And uh, that was the starting point. Uh, but I didn't know anything about it, and I thought it was so, in a way, there was a problem with writing about that specific experience, which was my father's death, because it was a terrible experience for me. He, he, um, he died as an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. It was very chaotic. My grandmother was there. She was drinking too. So it looked like hell, and I come down there and... and and uh, I didn't, you know, I just was crying and, and tried to fix everything by, by cleaning up the house, which looked like a kind of a junky place, really. But I couldn't transform that experience, uh, the, the relevance of someone dying. I couldn't transform it into writing. I just didn't know how to do it. So what I did instead was just I just had started to write, mm. and uh, and there was a moment I remembered when my father cried, uh, uh, the moment he started to uh, started to drink that summer. He changed totally personality, mm. and I was 16 years old, mm-hmm. and he has he had a he never saw any people, he never mm, you know uh, had any friends, and all of a sudden he started to throw parties, you know, and I was coming home late, and there was a party. And he was sitting there, and it was a white uh, cloth on the table, and it was summer, August, and dark, and he was crying, and then there was a wind coming. And when I remember that, I I, I thought, this is death. This was the moment where his death started, you know. And then I continued telling about myself as a 16-year-old boy. There isn't anything to tell, really, because it's only true realities, and you are... I won't say exactly stupid, but there's many things you don't understand. And, and I just wrote about that. So it's 100 pages about wanting to go to a party, trying to go to a party, hiding the bears from your parents, and so on and so on. It's kind of the mechanic of going to a party when you're 16, not allowed to go there. And it took 100 pages. And I realized, but this is life, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I could enter death and started, but because then there was a room. For me, a novel is to create a room where you can say something true, mm-hmm. but you can't just say something true in the beginning of something. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the room that's in the novel, I think. Did you feel that you were buying yourself time almost with those 200 pages, allowing yourself back into the experience? Yeah, it's... Um, Yes, I think so. I think writing novel is just a very, very slow way of thinking. You're thinking so slowly that you don't notice you're thinking, you know? It's, it's like that movement. Yeah, I think you're right. But it also, my experience with writing is if you... It's not the essence that's the point of the novel. It's the, you know, it's the way to get there. And if things start to come in, I mean, you're going to reach that point, you know? And you can go straight there. But if things start to come up in you, and, and, and th- that, then you are writing. When you're writing about all the things you just have to write before you get to the goal. Was it surprising you? What, I, I, was it a revelation to you what was coming out as you entered this process? No, because it was, I, I thought of this myself as, as uh, so uh, bad, badly written. Uh, very banal, very boring. Mm-hmm. There was no joy in writing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there was joy, but, mm-hmm. but mostly it wasn't because it felt like uh, I was raised in, as a writer in the 80s and 90s, and there was a certain way of thinking of what quality is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, was, I still think that's quality, you know, kind of hardcore modernist writing. It must be difficult. It m- can't be catchy or it can't be... Mm-hmm. entertaining, mm-hmm. then it's, it's not good. And it can't come easy, then it's no good. It's a very protestantic ethic. And this just came, you know, I could just sit and write, and then I thought it's worthless, you know, it's worthless. But I'm doing it. And I had some people telling me, mm-hmm. this is good, you know, keep on writing. And I, and I could never have written this book without someone telling me that. Yeah. Because it's so hard to confront your own, you know... Uh, what's the 
opposite world of support uh, being it's very hard to be um, confronting your own you know uh, what would the word be in English? littleness you are just you're just very little uh, there's nothing your the smallness the smallness the insignificance insignificance yeah I don't want to put words in your mouth but but it's interesting that you say that you felt that the experience of writing it was often boring because it's something that a lot of people a lot of reviewers for example have picked up on to talk about that the section where you're hiding some beers and going for a new year's eve yeah. with some friends and and I think a lot of people have understood this in a way of like wow this is a new kind of literature it's a new literature that's moment by moment and it's nothing's happening but interesting i i think and this is one of those books where talking about the reader's experience is very important because people get sucked into it in a very special kind of way and so i can say that from my experience for example that whole section where you as a teenager are trying to get drunk on a new year's eve well for a start a lot of people can relate to that that's but i would say even in the novel itself it's actually very exciting and it's exciting not just because it's teenagers having life but the the truth is that we know something very very big is coming and i and i wonder if there's almost a traditional novelist at work there i mean yeah. the book is called a death in the family in english at least the beginning of the book talks about death and then goes back to your childhood we already know that you've got this tense relationship with your father so you know if we talk about how what why have these books about the ordinary become so exciting i feel that what one of the things you've achieved is the ordinary is full of things you can't see it's full of tensions that aren't necessarily there but i did you feel in that state when you were writing it i have never thought of it that way but but you're right for for a writer you see the you see it the other way uh, if you have something coming coming you have the right to write about what's 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 there you know that's that's basically what it is i think um but there's no consciousness involved in this there's no planning it's no mm-hmm. you know there's mm-hmm. nothing like that it's just writing uh but the intuition is 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 almost always exactly right it's the right thing to do and it's like if if there is a problem in the novel at 2 o'clock in the in the afternoon i know if i just go to sleep and get up in the morning mm-hmm. it's solved you know and mm-hmm. and it's very it's very interesting and my i think my favorite quote about writing and art is is by Lawrence Durrell and it says writing a novel is to set yourself a goal and then you go there in your sleep mm-hmm. and i think it's i think it's basically it's like that i think it's very hard to plan a novel yeah it's funny you say that because i have found myself when i'm describing a passage in the book to someone i often say oh and then in the dream i mean sorry i mean in the book <laughs> there is something very dreamlike and in in fact that that passage you described with your father when he's suddenly changed he's he's left your mother and you say that he's even started to dress in a more feminine way as if he's discovering his freedom and in a sense that discovery of freedom goes into his drinking as well uh which is a a phase that you have yourself when you're 19 later on um and that whole that whole section feels like a dream as well you walking into the forest and then suddenly your father is sitting there and this man who we've become very used to being authoritarian brutal is suddenly crying tears remembering a girl who died when he was a teenager yeah <laughs> but so you're writing these books this is just for yourself and i th- i think you even said before you said i just wanted to get this stuff out of my system so then i could go and write a great novel yeah. you know knowing that actually that's what was happening in front of you Wh- what changed what was the moment when you suddenly started realizing actually this really dramatic truth that i'm writing about my father's death and and your grandmother being there and your experience your own family your uncle is in the book your brother is in the book your mother is in the book when does this 
moments start happening that you start thinking, actually, I'm going to publish these things. What changed there? Um, no, I was writing it as it should be published. You know, I thought oh, I it should be published, but it wasn't up to me. It was up to my to my editor. But my change in in realizing what it was was um, before publishing. I gave it to a friend of mine, mm-hmm. and there was and when when he talked about the novel, he said it was. I talked about one uh, one part of the novel, like he was kind of almost scared about it. And that's the scene in um, My Father is, is Dead, mm-hmm. the day before. And my grandmother has gone all day and asked us, if you don't drink, do you? you know? And we, I said, no, 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 because I'm, I'm sure she wants to assure her that we don't drink as my father did. But then in the end, we, we realized that she wanted to drink. And then the day after my father died, we sit in the kitchen and we... we drink and, and we get drunk and we get happy you know and it was such a terrible complex situation because it was so good but it was so terrible at the same time and when he reacted that way on that then I understand but he was kind of it was like he um, yeah then I thought this is this is working in a way I don't know and then of course all the anger from all the other people came Well, I was going to say, because then before you published it, you showed it to your family members and your father's family members. But they wanted to stop it being published. Yeah, they did. Yeah, absolutely. It was a very dramatic situation for a month. And I tried to stop it. And uh, and they were, you know, the worst thing I... The the one thing I can't deal with in my life is anger. Mm -hmm. It's it's people raising their voice. I get get so scared. Mm -hmm. It's because... My father, I think, he was, he was doing that. And then it's my father's brother, you know, coming with this almost biblical rage against me. And, and you had, have done something wrong. It is immoral, you know. I have inflicted pain on them. And I don't have to publish. I mean, the book isn't printed. I could, I could stop it. Uh, and that was, that was such a... It was hell for me. Um... And also very morally difficult because um, they were saying, you know, uh, that um, how, how, how can you say that your book is more important than our life, you know? Uh, and I can't say that. But I, what I, uh, it changed for me when I realized that who are you to say that you can't write about mm-hmm. your father, you know? But it has many aspects, this conflict, because they, they said that this didn't really happen. Your father didn't die of alcoholism. He had a heart attack. And there was no drinking. There was no bottles. Uh, this, was, this just didn't happen. It's all a lie, you know. And when you write, you use your memory and you use your imagination. Mm-hmm. And those things are very, you know, mm-hmm. connected. And I am... Um, I have often used my father's, uh, not often, but occasionally used my father's destiny to become interesting myself. You know, I can use it like, you know. And then I... I start, like a good story Then to I tell. started to doubt, did it really happen? You know, did this really happen? And I called my brother and, and, and he said, uh, but he was in shock. I, he doesn't know the details. He didn't, he said. But then there was no witnesses. And was this, was this just a novel, you know? And had I just been exaggerating and mm-hmm. almost, so that was it was it was so terrible <laughs> to to be in that situation mm-hmm. where I also had to decide to uh, to publish it. Um, and then we published. I decided to do it. And then something interesting happening because there was someone writing a letter to me, and mm-hmm. and, and that person said I was reading this book, you know, about your father's death. And I remember the house, and I remember I was in that house, you know, and she wrote me, and that was one of the medical person who was bringing my fa- dead father out, and uh, she told me how it was. She told me exactly what was going on, and, and that was a terrible letter to get to, because it actually was worse than, than, um, than I know. 
It was, it was worse than what you yeah, saw when you arrived in the house. Yeah, it was. I mean, there were bottles everywhere by the time. Yeah, and arrived. it was worse because, and that's very painful, uh, but that was because he had been lying dead longer than we knew. So he has been dead, and my grandmother has been there, and she was too confused to call anyone out. This is it's an awful... Mm-hmm. And, and I feel, still feel very guilty for just going there, you know, because mm-hmm. it's so... Mm-hmm. This is people, this is my family, this is, you know. Yeah. Um, but then again, it's the truth, and it's my father, and it is. Um, it's, um, these things happen. I don't think it's dangerous, I don't think it's anything wrong by, by telling this, you know. I really don't. Um, but these things are, are very difficult, of course. Is that what I mean? Because exactly, I know, I know that you feel terrible guilt about having published it. And, and as you say, the word you use is immoral, as if it's a sinful thing to have done this. But something stronger was there. Yeah, but it is, you know, I've been raised in this. Mm-hmm. This is also a, a kind of a literature for me, is, is freedom. It is mm-hmm. a liberating force in my life. Yeah. And, and it is as a reader, but also as a writer. So this book, in many levels, is a way of getting you know, free, literary freedom. That's getting rid of the form, you know? Yeah. And, and it's... But when I'm talking about the book in these terms, it sounds like this really is personal, you know? It's, it is really isn't novels. It's kind of a project for myself to, to, <laughs> to get a better life. But when you are a writer, you write what's there for you. And this was, this was what I had, you know? Mm-hmm. The one in childhood, Boyhood Island, feels completely different yeah. to the one where you're a teenager, even. Did you really live in those worlds when you were writing? Yeah, and I think, um, it, you know, the childhood book starts with just, as I'm saying, I may be having 10, ten mm-hmm. iconic memories, and there are some photos, and that's my childhood. And that was how it felt. And I also had a, a, a view on my childhood, an understanding of my childhood, you know. This, is, this happened, and I've become the, the one I am, based on those things. Uh, but when I started to write, it was like... Uh, it's like what's happening in the book. It's like it's opening up, and it, and it starts to come more and more. Uh, it um, could be the same in psychoanalysis. Uh, I don't know if it if it's like that, but, but it's very age-related. It's, it's, uh, I think we have all the ages inside of us still. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and writing is it's just a matter of getting access to them. And it's, um, it's very strange because it's, it's, it's present, but it is not uh, conscious, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you kind of open it up and let it, let it flow. What happened to your identity? What happens to the one you think you are, you know? But because it's so contradictory, mm-hmm. everything. And that's just being seven. And then you have being 32 or 17. And it's all kind of, if you open up, mm-hmm. very, very chaotic. And, and that's the most interesting thing for me, relating to identity in that way, you know? try to open it up, try to make it much more floating and, and complex and, and get away from the, the kind of role you have, the reading you have of your own life, you know, and, and yeah. this and that. And yeah. Because it's, it's, a nece- it's a necessity to have that because we have to function, you know. But in a novel, you could, you could just let, let go of that. And uh, so, so it was kind of... This book is very much about identity. Mm-hmm. But there is also the sound of being 17. It's so different from the sound of being 7 or, or 40. And I wanted this book to be you know, very different. Mm-hmm. So um, book 4 is... Uh, yeah, it's, that's about being 18, 17, 18, and having no insight in what's going on, <laughs> and having no idea of, of, of anything, uh, and being completely unformed. No, but still have all these desires, and you don't know what, where they come from, even you know, which are driving you in, in those directions. And and that was the only book which I thought it was 
it was fun to write. But that's because I didn't totally identify with myself as a 17. That was impossible. Because for him, it was, was terrible, really terrible. I wonder if it's, it's very distinctly, I think, the funniest of the books. And also because it's almost as if you're playing God with your past self. That, that when you talk about the desires driving this character forward, I think we can be explicit about the fact that this desire is to lose your virginity. Yeah. And the book almost becomes a comedy of not losing your virginity. Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And there are so many moments you think, it's happening, it's happening. Is it? Oh, it doesn't happen. <laughs> it never <laughs> And I could, I don't know, I wondered, I could, I was wondering, I could feel you having fun with this almost. Yeah. You're being cruel to your past self. Yeah. I mean, it's all true. <laughs> yeah, but it really was like that, and I thought it would never happen. I thought, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't, you know. And that, that's just how it was, you know. And it was so terrible, terrible thing. It was fun now, but yeah. then it was like the only important thing, you know, the only thing I had in my mind. And the book is 500 pages long. I tell you, for the reader, it feels like it's never going to happen sometimes. But, uh, yeah, but it has a happy ending. It has a, it has a very happy ending. Yeah. And, a very, and I have to say, a very surprising ending as well. It's not quite how you think it's going to be. I wish we could talk about it, but I don't want to spoil it. And it makes me think, in fact, that one of the, one of the very surprising things I think about the book is that um, people focus a lot on... Uh, 50 pages at a child's party where nothing is happening. 200 pages on trying to find beer when you're 15 on New Year's Eve. But the, you're very playful with the structure and with the pace of the books. And the, in fact, the ending of all four of the books, if I've got this right, they all end on tiny moments, in fact. They're almost, and I know that in the books you're trying to get away from fine writing, away from achieving the sublime, as you've said yourself before. But actually, there's, I think that I felt there was something almost sublime about a, a whole book that's describing huge tracts of time, and then suddenly at the end it's just <laughs> one, one tiny moment. There's at, at the end of the uh, Boyhood Island, for example, there's the, you're leaving the small island where you've grown up, and you talk about, you see a dandelion, I think, and you see the, the, the filaments coming off it, and you, feel, you suddenly notice in this moment, and that's where we end, with you just realizing, oh, the moments are just going. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I, I wonder if you're sort of, if you're, you're very restrained about not making anything too dramatic, not making anything the key moment. It's almost as if you're... I wonder, did you, was it important to you to feel that you weren't following a traditional structure in books? In, in a way, yes. Theoretically, yes. Um, but it's like... I think the facts about novelists, and it's only not me, it's, it's all novelists, is that they can't write novels, you know. To, uh, you have to uh, invent it each time, mm -hmm. and you don't know how to do it, mm -hmm. and, and you have to try, and you have to move, and, and, I mean, and that's what it is to write a novel. So, and if you know how to write a novel, then it's not a novel, you know, then it's, then it's something else, I think. And... Um, I have never thought of the endings, but still, you know when a novel ends. You just sit and write and write and write and write, and then, okay, it, it stops. Uh, and that has just, just happened. No, I'm writing the opposite of my struggle. I'm writing short texts, one each day. Yeah. So that, that ha has a specific ending each day, you know. But it's exactly the same thing mm -hmm. in a very short mm -hmm. space. Uh, and, it's, and it's the same kind of movement. And that form forces something completely different out in the light, you know? So the form is determining what you are writing um, almost uh, by itself, I think. But you are looking for it, and then you find it. And then the things you want to say just pops up, you know? I think. This idea of form is something that you write about in the books a lot as well, the idea that... Um, you get to a certain point where you feel very sick of fiction 
and you feel that all stories, in fact, in documentaries and films, TV, is all, somehow they're all telling the same story, and suddenly you don't want any form. So you sit down to write your own life, your own memories, without form. Um, and I think it's... There's a way that you're recreating real life. But part of it, as you say, and I wanted to come back to this, that part of it is the how boring can real life be. Even though I, I don't think there's really anything boring in the books ever, you always know there's something else. And, it's, and really, it's your father. Your father is always there, even when he's not there. And I, it struck me, I wanted to ask you about this, it struck me that, especially in your childhood, when you're describing how it feels like being in a prison living with your father. And the reason, and what's most terrifying about him isn't just when he's angry and physically violent and raises his voice. What's terrifying about him is his unpredictability. That there are, and you give very equal weight to them, which is very interesting. You don't, if it's a horrible scene, you don't go home for a long time. You just leave it as it is. But you do the same when he's suddenly very kind to you. And it's even more heartbreaking and sometimes more terrifying when he's being kind and gentle to you. And I wonder if you felt, because I know that you, you, you've said that the books were a way of trying to understand your father, and I wonder if you, if you felt he was always there even when you're not writing about him. There's a bit about your books that reading them, I think, without making it too neat, it feels a bit like being in your father's house that you never know when he's going to come back and you never know when he's going to jump out. And also, every time he does appear, you don't know what mood he's going to be in. And I wonder if, that's, if you feel that the unpredictability of the atmosphere is your father's presence in the books in some way. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And because I'm, I'm writing about you know, myself and my own view of the world and, and he's, he's present, you know, he's... Mm -hmm. he's uh, is a present force in, in my life. So, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. um, Do you feel that you understand him differently having written the books? Yeah, very much so. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not just because I wrote the book, but because I'm, I'm a bit older now. Um, but that was also one of the reasons I think I wanted to write about him, because I was a father myself, mm -hmm. and I had small children. But my identity still was the identity of a son, you know, and which is a terrible thing to have when you're 40, being a son, <laughs> not, not really a man in your own right, you know. Mm -hmm. But by doing this, and then my father was... Uh, I didn't even think he was human, you know. He was just some figure, some very static mm -hmm. statue, uh, almost. So by writing about him... I suddenly understand, you know, I'm 40, and he was 40 when he left the family and started to drink. And I realized that he felt, I wanted to leave my family and start to drink, you know. And I could get angry with my children and, and full of rage. And I, I kind of uh, it changed my conception of him really completely. Uh, and I understood that the way he, he, he was acting, he was very chaotic inside you know, and, um, and I'm very troubled. And there was some, um, we found some diaries mm -hmm. he left, and we couldn't print it because of the family. Um, because there are some excerpts of his diaries. Yes. But are those yeah. fictionalized? Yeah, no, no, not fictionalized, not... but I'm writing about them, but I couldn't quote them. Right. But he wrote, for instance, about loneliness. And he writes good, you know. It's a good text about being lonely. Um, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's very sad. And, and, and very strange to see your own father writing about being lonely then. But I could, I understand him much more. And yeah, I think understanding is a sort of forgiveness, you know. And, and uh, yeah. How interesting that he wanted to write about it as well. Was he very... Because the impression in the books is that he's very concise. He doesn't want to say too much. And he's, he's partly keeping a diary of how much he drinks. Yes, that, that, that's what, what he did. So he, when he starts to drink, he starts to take notes of how much mm -hmm. he was drinking. Uh, and you can see it, you know, getting more and more. And you can see, okay, I, I have to stop. 
and he writes about his. Uh, it's like looking in an abyss because he can't stop. You know, he, he just can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he loses his job and uh, loses, loses really everything. Uh, and then he disappeared for for a few days. He was uh, the police was looking for him. Nobody knew where he was, and he turned up in a hospital and, and he couldn't walk. Uh, so this so, <laughs> is a crazy story. And 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 then. My uh, father's family called us and said, you know, no, you have to t- go and take care of him. He can't take care of himself no more. And we said, no, 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 I'm not going to take care of him. Let him die, you know. And um, then he was in a, um, a place where you, um, what's the word? We're treated for alcoholism. Oh, yeah, a rehabilitation. And then he had, there he had a part of the treatment to write that diary. Uh, and then he died. So it's a, it's a long story, and, and some of it is in books, some of it is not in the book. But I think he just, you know, he gave up, and, yeah. he, and he committed suicide in a, in a slow way. And all of those things has, in the writing, changed, and, and you know, through my life. So everything has, has, has been... Um, it's like discovering something you know it so well, and in the, no, I didn't know anything, really, you know. Uh, and the scary thing is that this is for real, you know. This is what? This is for real. This is a real man and this is real mm-hmm. circumstances. So after the book, I got a lot of letters from his colleagues, ah. from some of his childhood friends, and they told me about his father and the way he treated him. And one of them said it was like he was, uh, you know, damaged from war or something because he was always talking about that. And, mm-hmm. and these things were set in motion because of, because of these books, you know. But still, my only intention was to make novels. That was what I was doing, you know. I wanted to make a novel out of it. I wanted to use my father to make a good novel. That was really my ambition. Uh, I think, if, I, if I'm trying to be very honest, that was what I was doing. Do you feel proud? Proud? Proud of these books? No. <laughs> I don't. I've just told you how terrible it is, you know, <laughs> and how much guilt I feel. No, I'm not proud. No. You don't feel the pride at the achievement no. of it and at mm-hmm. hearing how mm-hmm. powerful they are for people. For I, can feel, I can feel that I'm very lucky and I can feel very, very happy because so many doors have opened up and I can do a lot of things now. Uh, and I'm very glad I did it. Mm-hmm. For me, it's a document. I mean, if I started writing one week later, it will have looked completely different, you know? Then I will maybe pick another opening and maybe gone that way instead of that way. So for me, this is a documentation of, of a writing in, in, in two years. And, and that's it. And I'm, no, I'm not. I'm not. And I've opened the book as he... Because sometimes I believe the hype. Sometimes I think, mm-hmm. but it has to be good. You know, mm-hmm. it has to be good. Mm-hmm. And I may do the mistake, and I check, and I see. You know, I just have to see uh, yeah. two, or three sentences, and I can't. You know, I can't bear it. And uh, that's how it is. Do, you, do your books reflect our times in some way, even if you yeah, do it yeah, without me? Yeah, of course. Me. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. I mm-hmm. think uh, because this is really, you know, it's kind of, if it's a search for identity, what I discovered was. If I ask myself how much of this is me in the book, you know, the language, no, it isn't mine. It existed before I was born, and it's going to exist after I'm dead, you know. And the literary form, no, that's existed there. And the thinking, no, everybody thinks that. My experiences, no, everybody has those. There's nothing specific in it, you know. There is nothing. The only thing that's specific, that's 1%, and that's kind of the tone, the thing you wake up to in the morning, the feeling of being you. That's, that's it. The rest is in between, I think. It's, and it's so basic things. Mm-hmm. It's so much everybody has been 17, and it's, I think it's the same thing, you know? And having children is the same thing. Having parents have the same thing. So if you go in that direction, you're really writing about what's floating in between us. No matter, you can't help it, you know? And I'm writing about... Um, you know, masculine identity mm-hmm. a lot. And that's probably because the masculine identity is in, in a form of crisis because there's been cha- changes, you know, I mm-hmm. think. And I can't 
analyze anything, but I know if I write about myself, it will be representative in, in, in some way. And that's the only thing you can do as, as a novelist. And that perspective is a very important perspective. People say to me often that, oh, this is narcissistic and, and you're mm -hmm. so self-occupied. Yes, I am. To, to people yes, say that. Yes, but I am, of course. But if you see the way the world is, is, is shown in the media, for instance, what, what do you see? You see people from an enormous distance, you know? You see, and now there's a refugee crisis. I mean, you see refugees just coming, and there's no individuality there. There's no, that perspective is completely absent, you know? And then it's so easy to have that distance in your relationship to those things that's happening, you know? And the only place I know of that can, you know, break through that distance, that's the novel. It's not the film, it's, it's nothing, it's the novel. And that's what novels do, I think. Um, even if you just write about yourself. Of course I do, but I have never been interested in telling the story of my life. Why should I be interested in that? It's not a good story, you know. <laughs> but there's many things in there that you can search for, and that is, yeah, I look upon myself as a place, a place, a geographical place where I can go, you know. And it's, I don't know what's coming. I don't know what to expect. It's, it's like, you know, it's like going over the sea in, in 1300 to America, you know, and you know not what, what's going to come. And it's me, you know, but it's, that's, that's what the book is about, too, you know. It sounds much better when, when I talk about it, because it is really, <laughs> it is really um, you know, small things going on, but still that's the, that's the big picture of the book. For me, then, I think, of, of books at all, I mean, in general, novels. This Intelligence Squared podcast is supported by Audible.com. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash debate. We're going to let you ask some questions now. There are some microphones moving around, I believe. Um, yes, we'll take a question from you and then from you. Yes, uh, Carl Over, um, thank you very much for your books. Um, I, don't, I don't agree that you have to read all of the books. I think the, the glory of them is that we all find something in the books, something in something, whether it's the childcare, whether it's the drinking, whether it's uh, traveling on a train, where, whether it's looking out on a city street, that grabs us. Um, for me, it was the description of the drinking in your father, which I thought from my own personal experience, um, I would never find anyone else to share that kind of experience. So, so, so thank you for that. That's what I found in that book. And, and it was that reality for me which kept me going through the books, and I'm still reading them. But my question would be that you're very clear at various points in the books both how much you need to be loved, but also how the, the conflicted side of you, you say you don't give a shit about anyone else. Yeah. And I'm wondering, after having gone through this very large and hard and difficult and painful piece of work, what your relationship is now, just for today, just for now, perhaps, with your audience... Okay. <laughs> Didn't my relation to my audience? Your relationship, how you feel about... You write for yourself, yeah. but writers have got to write for other people. That, yeah. that, that is the work. You're putting it out there. Yeah. So, so what you feel I is know. your relationship after that very long and hard piece of work with other people, and I'll call those other people your audience. Yeah. I didn't know if you noticed, but this is the first time I'm looking out there. I've been looking this way all the time. Because I have to protect myself from, from it, in a way. And I think also, people say to me, like, you, please don't say that your books are so bad, because then you say that we you know, have a bad taste in literature. <laughs> and, and so I try not to do it, but I think... 
there is two possible explanations. One is that there really are, you know, like that. And the other one is that it's a way of, I take care of the rejection myself. And that's the way I'm treating in the books my friends or, or, or everything. You said there's an urge for love in it, and then there's a rejection. And I find very, very hard that when people have expectations of something, which they have when I've written, written these books. But I have often, sometimes, I could just, people come over to me, have a having signed books with tears in their eyes because of an experience, you know, and, and it's very hard to, to return that because what I have given is in the book. But then I was in, in Finland uh, and then I, a girl came over to me and said, my father died, no, my brother died two days ago and she was crying. And I, what can I do? I, have, I think I sat and talked with her for an hour or something. But it's, it's that kind of reactions. I've never got it before when I wrote novels. Never. And this is why you write. And, and when I was a reader myself, that was what I was looking for. A book that I wanted to write to the writer and say, you know, I have this said to say to you, but it's very hard to deal with. It is very hard to deal with. Okay, yes, over here, and then we'll go back to you in the middle there. Um, obviously, when you're writing a novel, the, your choice of words is very key to the soul of the work, but it's translated into 22 different languages, so do you think that the soul of the work is different because we're reading it through someone else's interpretation? Yeah, that's a good question. The only language I can check is Danish, Swedish, and English, really. Uh, and I don't read... Uh, translators ask me, do you want to read it? Uh, and I say, no, I don't. It's, it's all up to you. Uh, because it's not about details. It's, it's on, and it's not about getting things right. It's getting the flow right and the voice right. And you can't fix that. Either you have it or you don't have it. Uh, so I haven't read the English translation, but I've read loud from it. And I remember reading first time uh, My Struggle 1. It's a childhood passage. And I didn't realize that I read it in English. I mean, it came exactly the same thing came up from it. And that's, that's wonderful because that's the translation. There, I'm sure there is mistakes and things in there, but it's, uh, I think it's a very good translation. Yes. Sir. Hi. Um, you w were talking earlier about how well, when you write literature, it's, it's as a way of gaining f freedom, freedom from something. And I just wondered what that something is. What do you think you're gaining a sense of freedom away from? And that's a good question. Um, so many things. Um, if, if I'll be technical, it will be about, you know, the form. A, a form dictates a certain way of looking at the world, you know. And if you, if you accept it, then you also accept the way of looking at, at the world. Uh, and, and maybe you are satisfied with that. Maybe that's okay. But if you want, you know, <laughs> to be more um, precise or more accurate or more sincere or more like it is, you have to uh, to break free of that. And it's also like you can think whatever you want to think. And in normal life, you can't do that. And you know that if you're writing, there is, you go there, no, I can't, can't think that, you know. And in this book, I have let all those places be, even if I know, oh, that's sexist, this, this sexistic, or that's, you know. But it's there because I did think it, and, and it's, it's, that's one way of, of, of freedom, I think. Um, Yeah, and, and being a, a, a Protestant, freedom is a very problematic, um, uh, you know, word. Uh, <laughs> um, 
duty is much more natural word for a, for a Protestant. Uh, and to be good, you know. And now I, I find just this very interesting, this, this conflict of interests in that. I mean, for me, it's just to be free to write. That means that I can move, you know, where I want to move. And I don't have to think if it's good or if it's bad. It's just a movement I'm, I'm interested in. I would, have you? Yes, I come. To, have you found yourself able to be more honest at all in life as a result of writing the books? Only in situations like this, mm-hmm. uh, then I could be very honest. But if we talk, you know, after this, I wouldn't be. Uh, because there is a social, you know, there's a restriction in a social situation. Uh, and with family dinners or dinners with friends, no, I'm not, I'm not honest. Uh, if you try that, it's a catastrophe, you know. It is, yeah, but it is for everybody. So you have to, you have to lie and everybody lies. Uh, but here, there is no such restriction because this is a really strange deal. I mean, we're sitting here, they're yeah. listening. It's, it's almost superficial as a novel, you know, it's, it's not, yeah. So, so here I can be honest, but not in a real social situation, no. Hi, Karl-Ove, welcome to London. Thank you. I have actually read all your six books, and for me this is such an honor. And I am a decade older than you, I think, but I grew up with the same dysfunction, with the same yanta love, with the same secrecy of how it needed to look on the outside. And my family dysfunction has taken on intergenerational proportion, where in my generation there is disease that we never thought would appear. All the isms, you know, are showing up uh, that then have to be treated do you find that, uh, because we are talking about going back to the war and my grandparents, you know, uh, couldn't really bring up children because they were so traumatized, everybody was so traumatized, uh, do you find that your children today are suffering to a degree from the heritage that we so kindly were given by our parents? This is a good question, because if you have children yourself, you see that they so clearly are a person, an individual, uh, and it's almost like you could um, yeah, you could do things to, to, to your child, but you can't change that, you know? And how she or he is will, will make the reaction, you know? And it was become kind of a symbiotic thing going on. Uh, so for me and my brother, we have a completely different relationship to, to my father and to my mother, you know. And we are very different. Uh, so I don't know, but I think for my father, he was, he was marked by the way, his upbringing. But maybe, you know, I was very sensitive. Maybe if I'd been a bit tougher, it wouldn't hurt me. I could be fine with him, you know. And there's, there's a critic in Sweden, Ingmar Bergman, is always complaining about, you know, his, his upbringing, his father and his mother. And then someone was, knows the person, no, they were fine, they were nice people, you know, this is, this, they were fine. And, and then the critic says, Ingmar Bergman would have been Ingmar Bergman no matter where he was growing up, no matter what kind of parents, they would be terrible, you know, in a way. So it's, it's, it's but it's very interesting because it has to do with identity and, and I love those kind of movements through generations, you know, uh, as a writer. And, and, but I, I'm a very shameful person. Uh, where did that come from? My grandmother on my mother's side, she was a very shameful person. And it's a shame culture, you know. Uh, but is that a reason? I don't know. But it's kind of, it's interesting at least. There was a lady just here. Somewhere was there? No? Yes, the lady there in the middle row. I was going to... You have this investigation of your father in the book. If you could ask him one thing now to settle your curiosity, what would it be? Um. (laughs) Um. What would that be? That's a very hard question. I mean... 
No, I don't think I would ask Tim. I, I think I would, if possible, try to talk talk with him, which I never did. I've never had a conversation with him like adults have about something. Didn't happen. So that was maybe what I what I would have. But I have this fear of if there is a hell that you know he's he's waiting for me. I'm going to go there and. <laughs> And I have written these things about him. And I can have dreams, you know, he's coming without the limb here, without the arm, and coming, you know, over me like David Lynch film or something. And it's terrible. And it's just a manifestation of guilt, you know. It's, um, you asked, and I answered. <laughs> yes. Did you get the microphone here? Yes. Yeah, there you are. It's on already. Okay. I wanted to ask you about um, reality and what you think. Um, fiction can do about representing it. And maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me that uh, my struggle is a long and sometimes angry conversation with whether or not words can make something that weighs the same as experience. Yeah. And for me, one of the things that burnt itself into my mind is your version of the flood in um, A Time to Every Purpose. And I wonder how you could leave that kind of reality behind, that kind of physicality and sort of solidity of experience for the reader in favor of something that's equally real probably, but much more sliding, much more evanescent. I don't know whether you have a a hierarchy of reality, whether that first reality seems outdated to you, whether you have anything to say about um, where you would go from now, from here. Yeah. um, Um... Uh, but I, my, what I think literature is, the, when it's the best, it's the thing itself, you know. That's, that's the ultimate thing with literature. Uh, what my, my writing is about the thing, you know. It's, it's, it's circling around it, but it's not the thing itself. So the greatest novels all have this metaphor or this thing that you can't define, but it is, it, it is centered around it. It's like... Moby Dick, or The Magic Mountain, or The Process by Kafka, or, or, or whatever, which are dealing with reality, of course, but in a completely different way. And the most shocking book I've read the last three years, four years, is, is by Ben Marcus called The Flame Alphabet, which is completely unrealistic, almost hysterical unrealistic, but still it is very precise and, and very in ways I don't understand, but it just evokes so much. And that's literature for me. So it's not about uh, if it's fiction or, or not, or if it's reality or not, but it's about finding those places um, which create something which is kind of bottomless. Um, and Moby Dick is my best example, but, but I think all great books has that kind of setting in a way. So you can see yourself, you're going to be writing more fiction now. You'll never, will you write autobiography again? Mm, I will never write an autobiography, and, and I, I'm going to write fiction, yeah. It's the only, it's the only way to go. <laughs> the man who destroys fiction in the present day, the only thing left for him to do is to go and write that great novel. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir, do we... Just here. In the stripy top. Uh, yeah, I was wondering if the your own story of your own life changed while representing it. Uh, if my own story of my own life changed, yeah, yeah the, the perception of your past and the story of your own yeah, life. yeah, very much so. Yeah, it did uh, because there are connections uh, you don't see in your own life, but you can see it when you are writing. If you are writing unconsciously, you know. There are so many patterns in the books that I didn't think of, which also is patterns in, in my life. So, yeah, I have. Um, yeah, I do. And there are also some... I always thought of myself as a good person. Really, I have. I'm trying to be a good person. But by writing this book, I discovered something else in me that I didn't... I wasn't aware of it. You know, a certain coldness, a certain unempathetic side which I think you have to have if you're if writing or doing something. You have to be detached from what you're writing. But it was terrible to, to see so openly <laughs> that this was, this was inside of me. Uh, I didn't know about that. I should have known about that, but I didn't. 
It's the lady just here. And then a microphone to the gentleman here. Sorry, I was just wondering if you're still in the doghouse with your wife. If I still? In the doghouse with your wife. Was it hard to, to write about her? Uh, yeah, it was hard. It was hard. Uh, I told her that I was going to write about her. And she's a writer herself. And she said to me, uh, yeah, but if you do, you have to go all the way. Because the worst thing that can happen is that I'm, you know, boring in the book. Uh, and, and she's not. But she was, she was shocked when she saw it anyway. But she, not about what's in the book. She said, yeah, go ahead, print it. It's, it's not a problem. That's, that's fine. But, but we have to talk, you know, about, about what's in the book. And that's... So I think she was deeply hurt. But I think also she, she thinks it's, 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 it's true in a way. But the thing is, if you are uh, a couple, you can't, the truth is that's not a, an option. It isn't an option. And in, if you, if you laid, even if you think, even if you know it, it's okay. But if it's said, then it's not okay anymore. So, so this book is, is, was uh, very threatening. Uh, very much so. Um, so that was hard. But it was even worse. With book two, when I wrote about her, I realized it, it's too dark. So I, I had two days to fix it. So I wrote in, you know, the, the falling in love story. To create a balance, to <laughs> yeah, it's true. I had to do it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there now. Thank you all very much for coming along, and Carlova, thank, thank you very, very much. much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can download more Intelligent Square podcasts free on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you'd like to find out more about our events. Sign up to our newsletter at intelligencesquared.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.